My father's mother, who I always call Granny, she passed away when she was 94 years old. Long lives of the women in that part of the family. When she was about 90 is when we needed to move her into full-time nursing care. She had fallen for the third time and had broken her hip and, and she just needed to go into full-time nursing care. And one day my father was with her. We were approaching the 90th birthday. We were planning a birthday party for her and she was really not wanting to celebrate anymore. And she told my dad, she said, look, I'm done with life. I'm ready to go. I just want to get on with it. Why hasn't God taken me yet? And my dad said to her, you're still alive because you still have work to do. She looked at my dad and she said, well, what is it? She wanted to know what it was so that she can get it done and get on. What is the work that God lays out for us to do? We've been talking about grace this month. We've talked about grace in general, and then we've also talked about John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, his understanding of grace in that we only have one grace from God, but that it comes to us in three parts. And we've talked about prevenient grace, and last week we talked about justification. We talked about that, that part in time where we go from realizing Jesus loved the world to Jesus loved me. When it becomes personal and we say, I get it now, Jesus, it's, it's me. And, and that, that, that time when we say, Jesus, I'm ready for this life with you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I said that when that happens, it's like you have a new birth. At the beginning of that moment, when you have this new birth into the Christian life, the grace that carries you through the rest of your life is named sanctification. Now, the word sanctification means to make holy or to make righteous. And let me be very, very clear. We do not make ourselves holy. We do not make ourselves righteous. God does that. God makes us holy. God makes us righteous. And so sanctification is this grace that carries us through into from a new Christian life into a mature Christian life and what that looks like. And it's that grace that causes us to desire to help those who are in need, to do the good works. It's that grace that causes us to want to love and to love our neighbor and to love well. There are a couple of effects that come with this grace. And the first effect that comes with this grace is that our spiritual senses become heightened. And by that, John Wesley means that we start to sense God in new and different ways. We start to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. We start to sense where Jesus is, and we start to sense those things. And so our prayer life can deepen or change as we start to learn, what does God sound like to me? How do I hear God's voice? For me, it's when I get that nudge that I've got to say something about God or about Jesus and I just can't let that nudge go. It also happens when I find myself quoting scripture I know I've never memorized. I know I have never memorized that and yet here it comes. And here it comes. And that I know is when those spiritual senses 
are really picking up God's presence with me in that moment. But I think a lot of that also comes with the maturity of the Christian faith when we start trying new ways to seek out that presence of God and that connection with God. Last month, I started a new and different style of prayer, I guess you could call it. When I'm, I'm doing my devotionals and I read the scripture and then I read the, the upper room that goes along with it, I go back to the scripture and I choose a word or phrase or sentence and then I take colored pencils and I draw it. I'm not an artist, not by any stretch of the imagination, but I try to draw some part of it. And during that time, it becomes a very intentional, very quiet, very meditative time for me, and it slows me down. And it helps me to focus, and it helps me to pray and see things. So that's something that I have tried recently. Also in June, our regular adult Sunday school class said, we want to go try a prayer labyrinth. We've never walked a prayer labyrinth. We want to go try one. So we went up to First United Methodist Church Allen together. And the way a labyrinth works, there's a design on a floor. And at first glance, it looks like a maze, but it's not a maze. It's an intentional, curvy, turny path that brings you to a center. And then you work your way back out again. And it slows you down. And it puts you in a meditative space. Okay, God, take this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm worried about this. Take this. And then on your way back out, you're like, okay, God, fill me up now. And it can be a very powerful prayer experience. All of that comes back to grace. It all comes back to sanctification. It all comes back to sensing the presence of God and putting, our play, putting ourselves in a space where we can. Sense God's direction. Sense God's comfort. Sense, okay, God, where are you? what is the work you're asking me to do? Another effect of this new life, another effect of this sanctifying grace is having the mind of Christ. And by that I don't mean, because I usually mean, Jesus is telling us to love people, to teach people. We, we learn the lessons of Jesus and we go out and we live them. That's not what I'm talking about there. One of the effects of grace in us is for us to see others and the world as God sees. It's when we no longer see bushes or grass or blue sky. Instead, we see a world lovingly created by an all-powerful creator. Or when we see the panhandler on the corner, and instead of saying, oh, that person's out begging, or I feel sorry for that person, instead you see someone created by God, deeply loved by God, that needs to know they're not alone that needs to know that somebody cares. Or when the guy living next door to you, instead of seeing or hearing loud music or, in our case, the engines that are running in the cars he's fixing next door, instead you see someone with gifts and talents and love to give that God loves. That's having the mind of Christ. And that comes because grace is giving us that to see things a little bit differently. For a time last year, this church had about three weeks in a row, the letters out front on our sign kept getting changed. And then we found a, a pile of beer cans. 
out back. And then we saw that somebody had actually been in the building. We had had a, a break-in here at the building. Well, I had been in contact with the Sheriff's Department, let them know, please keep, keep an eye out. Well, and I want to say, I don't think it, it may, it was probably a Sunday morning after that, that the neighbors across the street were um, temporarily putting a trailer in our parking lot just for the day until they could finish moving some things. And I stopped a couple of the young men and I said, do y'all live across the street? They said, yes. I said, tell you what, the church is having some people come up and, and do some things that they're not supposed to be doing on church property. If you see anything, would you just, you know, call the sheriff's department for us? And they said, sure, no problem. In June, when Steve and I were on vacation, one of the young women that lives across the street is the daughter of a friend of a friend of mine. And this daughter reported to her mother, who reported to my friend, who reported to me that they had seen a car in our parking lot here at the church for several nights in a row. And they decided to approach the gentleman in the car and go up to him and say, what's the deal? And he said, the church has had some break-ins lately, and they've asked me to sit here to keep an eye on things. I knew I hadn't asked anybody to do that. So I asked, well, what did the car look like? And they said it was an older model dark sedan. The only one in our congregation is the Pikarskis. And so I contacted Dave. I said, have y'all been up here in the parking lot? No, he hadn't been. So Dave came up here to check things out. I contacted Jeff Graham, and he contacted his sheriff buddies and said, you know, just keep an eye on the place for us. In the past, I have seen the neighbors across the street as people that I need to invite to come to church, as people that I need to invite to come to our back-to-school barbecue, as people that I need to reach out to. Sometimes we get in this thought of there's us in the room and then there's them out there, and it's our job to go out there to tell them that they are loved but we've got neighbors across the street that took ownership of this property. We had neighbors across the street that were loving on us by keeping an eye out. They didn't have to approach this gentleman to ask what was going on, but they did. They didn't have to do that. With the mind of Christ, we can see others as Jesus sees them. Our neighbors across the street, yeah, they may need a place to worship, they may need a barbecue to go to, but they also need others that they can love and they loved on us. That was grace in that moment reminding me it's not always us pushing out, sometimes it's us saying, you already are loving, you already are giving, and thank you for loving us. The goal to all of this grace, the goal of the Christian life, according to John Wesley, is Christian perfection. And let me set you at ease right away. He's not saying we got to be perfect people, because we aren't. What he's saying is, is that the goal of grace in our life is perfect, humble love. It is true love of God and it is true love of neighbor. You may not know this, but in the United Methodist Book of Discipline, we have in there 
Articles of Faith and a Confession of Faith. We have a United Methodist Church Confession of Faith, and I want to read part of it to you. We believe good works are the necessary fruits of faith and follow new birth, but they do not have the virtue to remove our sins or to avert divine judgment. We believe good works, pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ, spring from a true and living faith, for through and by them, faith is made evident. That's what I think our two scriptures are about this morning. In the letter to James, it says in there, if you see someone who is naked and hungry and you say, I will pray for you, but then you don't get them clothing or you don't provide them with food, well, then what good is that? James argues that faith without works is dead. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest went by, he saw the guy hurt, maybe the priest prayed for him. The Levite saw the guy hurt, he went by, maybe he prayed for him, maybe he called the local helping hand store and said, hey, this guy's in help, go out and help him. But the Samaritan got blood on his hands. Because not only did he see this man, he touched this man. He put oil and wine on his wounds. He bandaged him up. He touched him. He could have stopped there. Instead, he put that man on his own steed and took him to an inn. He could have stopped there. Instead, he stayed with this man overnight, comforting him, having conversations with him, changing his dressing, I imagine. He could have stopped there. He went to the innkeeper and said, here's some money, watch over him for a few days, and I'll be back. He could have stopped there. But then we assume he came back, and he asked the innkeeper, how much do I owe you? Let me take care of that. Sanctification is that going that next step, doing that next thing. It's the going beyond. The life of this congregation right now is filled with so many pastoral care needs. And quite honestly, what I do is I imagine where everybody sits in here and I just do the circuit. We have Sherry and Mike. Sherry is recovering from a kidney transplant, thanks be to God. We've got Linda and Jean, which Linda, good heavens, could we just get you well for a minute, please? And we're praying for her. We've got Bob and Evelyn, which is an absolute roller coaster of hope and disappointment and prayers for them. We've got Cheryl and her family who have had a loss. We've got Anne and her family who's had a loss. We've had Chris and Debbie Perry who have had a loss in their extended family. We've got health issues here and here and here. And we've got children who are in need of prayer due to some forms of addiction or an injury or cancer. It just seems to be permeating everywhere. And I know that all of us are in prayer for each of these. But let me tell you what I like to hear is when Linda told me that she got a card from signed by Walter and Linda and Diana. Or when Evelyn tells me that she got a phone call from a member of the congregation. Or Sherry tells me that she got a card from Evelyn. Evelyn's sick and she's sending cards to other people. 
when we were at Sherry's house on Friday, the pass-through between her living room and the dining room, there's cards right there. This congregation is a texting machine. You text each other all the time. I had to get a new phone when I was appointed here because I was not a texter until I got here. And y'all are texting each other. How is so-and-so? What's going on with so-and-so? How are things going here? When you visit somebody in the hospital, when you visit somebody in the home, when you take somebody a meal, when you stop and make a phone call, how are they? Every bit of that is the going one step further and the going beyond. Yes, we treasure prayer. Yes, we need prayer. But when we take the time to send a text, make a call, go and visit, drive to the doctor, any of those sorts of things, that's James and the Good Samaritan being lived out. Let's keep doing those things. But there's a challenge in it too. When was the last time you put your hand in the hand of a stranger and sat and listened to their story? When was the last time you put your hand on someone who is in need and put your hand on their shoulder and provided comfort? When was the last time you took the shirt off your back and handed it to somebody who needed it? When was the last time you looked someone in the face and said, what do you need? What can I get for you? The things that we do for each other are wonderful, and they satisfy these, these things that we're being told to do in Scripture. But when was the last time you touched someone in need? Grace is God's love given to us abundantly and unearned. Everything comes from grace. What comes from grace? Everything. What comes from grace? Everything. Everything comes from grace. Even the knowledge that we need grace comes from grace. The knowledge that God loves us comes from grace. When we are born, we are entered into prevenient grace, and prevenient grace carries us from when we are born until we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. During prevenient grace, the Holy Spirit's just dancing around, moving all around, whispering in your ear, Jesus is a cool guy, you need to get to know him, and God loves you. When we come to that moment and we say, I get it, Jesus loves me. Y'all do this with me. Jesus loves me. Me. When it becomes personal, when it becomes personal, that is justification. And we say, okay, God, I'm ready for this. Let's do this life together. At that moment, we enter into sanctification or sanctifying grace. And that grace moving around us is the one that is nudging you in the ribs, kicking upside the head and saying, hey, do this in my name. Do this in Jesus' name. Love me. Love your neighbor. Go that step beyond. That is grace. And grace is love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.